Um, you might want to grab a Bible if you haven't got one already. You might want to have, a, have one on your phone, so that's fine. And uh, stick a finger in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is in the latter part of the New Testament. If you can't find it, there should be a contents page at the beginning, which is what I use. Um, just to say, if you don't want to keep seeing me on my dog walks giving notices, then um, do feel free to come and chat to me and say, I wouldn't mind doing the notices. I've got a phone. I can video myself. I can give the notices and we can give it a go. So I, I, I offered that last week, but no one came to me. So I'm very upset, but um, that would be great. We are on a sermon series, this is part three of a sermon series called Where Do We Grow From Here? It's something that has been dreamed up by our current president of the Baptist Union, or Baptist Together. There's the Reverend Ken Benjamin there, who's a minister of Chichester Baptist Church. And uh, he's spending 50% of his time touring around Baptist churches in the country, giving talks around this subject, where do we grow from here? And if you want to see more information about this, there's videos, there's Bible studies at www.baptist.org.uk forward slash WDWGFH, which stands for where do we grow from here. It's the only acronym that takes longer to say than the actual phrase in the first place. Um, and uh, we have looked in the first session, we looked at goalposts, recognising that uh, our society um, has changed. And actually, in order to meet the needs of our society and also to make the gospel accessible to our society, we need to change the way we do things within our churches. Last week, we looked at practice and principles. Actually, I scrapped the practice. I said I'll move it to this week, but I haven't got time, so we haven't got it this week either. But we looked at the principles of mission. And I can't remember what they are, but I'm sure you remember because you remember all my sermons, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I believe you. Um, and this week, we are looking at the subject bold experiments. Bold experiments. And we'll get to that uh, in a bit. <coughs> I don't know what you're like with enclosed spaces. Anyone claustrophobic? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Not too many of you. Um, I wouldn't say I'm claustrophobic, but I've certainly got a fear of being stuck. Stuck. And I hate it when you see those, you know, those cave explorers. Particularly when they get to that point where maybe they're in their scuba gear and they're going through and they get to a gap and they're so small they have to take off their oxygen tanks and wriggle through a little... Just what happens if they get stuck? Oh, it's just, it's horrible. And I remember uh, back in my 20s, I went gorge walking in Wales. It was amazing. If you don't know what gorge walking is, you know what a gorge is. It's kind of you're walking down the bottom, you've got cliffs up either side and you're walking down. And we went to this place. And it, was, it was great. Made so much better by the guide who spent most of the time talking about in graphic detail what would happen to us if we didn't follow his instructions carefully. That seemed to make it even more exciting uh, for us. And I won't go into the things that he said would happen. But we go through, we, we came down the cliff on ropes and we walked down the gorge and we got to a point where um, there was this dark hole in the ground. And he said, well, we're going to go down here. And he went into more graphic detail about what would happen when we go down. He said, you know, it's a long drop if you don't, if you don't uh, be careful, you'll hurt yourself, basically, but in more detail than that. So you've got to you know, make sure you bend your legs when you, you hit the ground. And one by one, people disappeared down this dark hole, and then they were gone. There was no sign of them. And you're looking down, further down, going, where on earth have they come out? Where, you know, what's going on? You got to the point when you, you're going down, you crawl, crawl in, and you drop. And it's like two-foot drop, 
and everyone was underneath the cave going, ha ha, you got tricked. But it was, it was, it was great, and I loved it. But I wouldn't want to be stuck. Now, I don't know if you remember from last year, the Tam Luang Cave Rescue. This is where a, 12 members of a local football team in Thailand and their coach got trapped in some caves in, in a mountain. Basically, they'd gone to have a picnic in the caves. Uh, the seasonal monsoon rains had come early and they'd retreated into the cave to avoid the rain. And then the cave got flooded and they retreated in further and further and further and further. And until I think they ended up four kilometres within the cave, trapped by the rising flood Waters. Fortunately, someone had realised they were missing, they had an idea of where they'd gone, and they mounted this rescue where 10,000 people were involved in rescuing these 13 uh, young people. Uh, The 12 uh, team members were between the ages of about 11 and 16, and the coach was in his early 20s. 10,000 people involved in the rescue. It became an international event. I don't know if you were there watching the news day by day as they uh, were, were trying to get these kids out. And there's just some key points from this rescue. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. All these people involved... But, you know, there was kids that needed rescuing. That's one key thing. There was someone that needed rescuing. There was 13 kids that needed rescuing. Time was running out. So this would make a great movie because the, the seasonal rains had come early and they were going to come even more. And they were trying to pump the water out of the cave to try and lower the level. But they knew that at some point soon, rain would come and that would be it. If they didn't get them out now, they'd have to wait months until the rains had passed to get them out. So there's this real sense of urgency. Another point is they tried every possible option that they could think of to get these kids out. They sent sniffer dogs going around the mountainside to see if there was an, another way of getting into the cave where they were because everything else was flooded. They uh, worked out where they were. They sent divers in. They'd fat located them and they realised that they could drill down about 1.2 kilometres through the mountain to, the, to where they were, and they started drilling down into it. They worked out that maybe they could get divers to them and get them back out again. Even Elon Musk, who is the um, inventor of the Tesla cars, even he turned up offering a mini submarine to navigate these um, caves. They tried every single possible option they could think of, most of which didn't work. In the end, they rescued them with divers, They sedated them and they carried them out on stretcher through these narrow, uh, you can see see how narrow it is there. It's horrible. Not every option worked, but it was worth trying. They experimented boldly with every option they could because people needed rescuing. So hold that thought. We're now going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, and also a bit of chapter 12 as well. I'm not going to read the whole thing, because it's pretty long, but if you've got your Bible, do turn to Hebrews 11. I'm just going to read, first of all, um, Hebrews 11, verses 1 to do 2. Where is it? It's in here somewhere. <coughs> That's not in my Bible. Oh, no, there it is. Hebrews 11. It's on the screen. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
This is what the ancients were commended for. You see, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about two things, well, lots of things, but two things, faith and hope. And they are closely linked, but slightly different. See, hope is looking at the future with optimism. Okay, so hope is looking to the future with optimism. Faith is a certainty that we can look at God and trust in him. So when you combine the two together, you have a hope and a certainty that God will bring about something in the future. See, sometimes we have faith about something and sometimes we have hope about something. I hope that one day I will be a famous millionaire. But I haven't got much faith that it's going to happen. So I'm not driven to actually push the boundaries and go for it. There might be things that you hope for, but actually you don't have a lot of faith that it's going to happen. Or you might have faith that God is, you know, in your head, you've got faith that God is going to move mountains, but actually in your heart, you haven't got that hope that's going to happen. See, when you combine the two, when you combine faith, I trust God, I believe in God, I have a certainty about God, and I can trust him, and you combine that with hope for the future, that actually God will, I can trust that God will take me somewhere and do something in my life, then I believe that moves us to action. When you've got faith and you've got hope, and you trust God, you are moved to actually do something in response to that. And what chapter 11 does is talk about examples of people who trusted God, had hope for the future, and had faith that God would do something. And they were moved to act. And this book, Hebrews, is written, as the name might suggest, to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people. So the writer of Hebrews uses examples that they would know about. And they were examples of heroes from the Old Testament. Think about the Jewish people, like having gone to Sunday school on steroids. You know, they knew everything there was to know about the Old Testament. So the writer of Hebrews talks about characters that are familiar to them. I'm not going to read through chapter 11, but you might want to read through those yourself and, and read about those different characters. You might want to go back in the Bible and look at the stories of these characters. There's Noah for example, who God says, you're a righteous man, the only righteous man in the whole world. I want you to build an ark, a massive boat to set dimensions. I've got the plans here. Here you go. I want it exactly like that. You can imagine Noah going, well, that's a little bit strange, isn't it? What what do you want to build a boat for? Well, I'm going to flood the earth. Oh, okay. That's right. That's slightly scary. And God says, well, not only that, but I want you to fill the boat with two of every kind of animals. Well, that's a bit of a logistic nightmare but he went for it and you can imagine the people around him going no what are you doing I'm just building a boat why are you building a boat oh well because God's going to flood the earth yeah right whatever you mad man oh, where are your sons oh they're off collecting animals oh no Noah had faith in God he had hope that God would do something and that moved him to action it talks about Abraham Abraham a rich a rich man really at his day and yet he listened to a God he'd never met before who said I'm going to make you I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a, a land that your, your descendants are going to move into. And because of that faith and hope that Abraham had, he took action and he moved to a place he'd never been before. He was willing to leave friends and families and security because he had faith and hope in God. 
It also talks about Moses. Not only talks about Moses, but Moses' parents. Who, when Pharaoh was going to kill all the, the uh, newborn baby Israelite boys, because they were too numerous, they were having too many babies, they put him in a basket and stuck him, stuck him in the Nile because they had faith in God and they had hope that actually God had a plan for their son. Moses, that baby in the basket, grew up. He had faith and hope that God could use him to free a nation. And he goes in, he talks to Pharaoh, and he says, God is going to judge you unless you bring out my people, his people, from this land of slavery. And that's what God did. What I think is really interesting with all these characters, when you read around their stories, they're kind of painted in a good light in chapter 11. When you look at their stories, you realise they they're not, perfect individuals. They fluctuated in their faith and their hope. They did wrong things. They tried to do it in their own strength. And yet what sets them apart is the fact that despite their failings, despite their difficulties, despite sometimes their lack of faith and hope, they trust in God enough to move and act and do what God was asking them to do. Why? Why were they willing to do that. Well, let's just look at verses 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Abraham never saw the land that was promised to him, and yet he um, believed. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So really, what they were doing, what these people did, they let go of the pasts. They held lightly onto the present and they looked forward to the future that had been prepared and by and promised by God. Something better, something worth giving up everything for, something worth enduring for. Jesus talked about this in one of his parables. He said there's a guy who um, discovered, he discovered a, a, an amazing pearl, you know, priceless pearl in the fields. And he went away and he gathered everything he had, sold it all. He went to go to the field and gave everything to buy this field so he, he could have this priceless pearl. He realised that what he had was worth less than what he could have. And these people were moved to action because God was offering something more worthwhile, more priceless than the things they already had and the things they had left behind. So how do we apply this? Oh, look. I should have been doing this. So faith and hope equals action. They were willing to take risks and make sacrifices and they were looking ahead to the future. So how do we apply this? I, was here, I heard the um, other day quite a, a, it's an interesting thing. Actually, I'll, I'll start back a bit. Um, last Saturday, we had a men's event in here. It was great. We, it was... Um, uh, a games night, and we had loads of stuff. We had table tennis. We had um, some computery thing here. It was a switch, that's what it's called. Uh, we had Skeletrix out. We had um, crazy golf along there, 
And, uh, and what we had just through there, which I really enjoyed, and actually people really got into, was Neil was showing us how to do um, lawn bowls. But we had, rather than the big balls, bowls, we had little ones like that. Hmm? Carpet, carpet bowls. The older generation know what these things are. Us younger generation, we're not quite to that stage yet where we're doing bowls. But actually, it was really great. And uh, what Neil says, he said, he picked it up and said, look, where the dot is, there's, there's a weight on there. And you've got this bias on, on the bowl. So you can't just do that. Because what you do, you do it that way. And it curves round. So you might be aiming there, but you're aiming here. It has a bias. That was something that's really important in bowls that you remember. I was all going to go very wrong. We have a bias in our lives. And also as a church, we have a bias as well. Left to our own devices, we have a tendency, one, to get old. As individuals, we get old. And I don't just mean physically, also mentally we tend to get old as well, get grumpy. I won't point any fingers. But as a church, if we, do, if we let our own devices, churches tend to get older. Actually, if you look at the nation, as, uh, nation as a whole, our church is a lot, lot older than our uh, society we live in. Also, we tend to become more inward-looking. We become more focused on ourselves, on our families. As a church, we become more focused on the activity we do in here. And lastly, we become disconnected from society around us. We talked about that moving the goalposts, didn't we? That society is going this direction and we're still here. It's not where we were before. And particularly, uh, I'm guessing those who have been around for a long time, things are very different to maybe when you were younger. And it's a lot easier to connect with those things from the past than it is to connect with those strange alien things in the present. And it's the same with church. As well, How do we get round that? Particularly as believers in Jesus Christ who want to be relevant, we want to share the gospel, we want to be connected to society and as a church we want to do the same. How do we do that? Well, verse 12. There's a really important word. Chapter 12, sorry, of Hebrews. Really important word. So we've, we've had all that information, all those stories about those great heroes of the faith. Who, were, um, who, went, who took action. And it's got a word, first one of chapter 12, therefore. Therefore. Let's just read that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So in other words, since we've seen everything that God has done through these people, we should be able to act ourselves. And you can read the Old Testament and read that God did amazing things through messed up, weak people. But actually, sometimes the Old Testament is a little bit too far away. And you think, is that really relevant now? I would encourage you, if you can, to read about stuff that is happening now, where God is moving. I know um, when I first came, we looked at a book called Sustainable Power, which was from a church just outside Bedford. And you could read that book and see that God is doing amazing stuff not that far up the road from us. Not in Africa or America or India or Australia. Actually, in this country where we could get to within a couple of hours, God is doing amazing things. Another great book I read was Scattered Servants by Alan Scott, who was talking about a mini revival that they had in um, Northern Ireland uh, near Giants Causeway. Amazing stuff that God is doing. 
Some of you might have read Pete Gregg's book. I read Dirty Glories. You can tell I've been on sabbatical. I'm actually reading books. Um, Pete Gregg talking about amazing things that God is doing now in our nation and beyond. And we can read those and think, if God is doing that there, then God can do that here too. We don't need to just look at Old Testament guys and see what they're doing. We can look and see what God is doing in our nation on this day, on this week, on the past year. And that should lead us into action. So therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, witnessing to God's power and might, that we can trust him, we can have faith in him, we can have hope in him, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us mark with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Go back to my... So God did it then. He'll do it again. God's doing it now. He'll do it here. Secondly, get rid of every obstacle and hindrance. See, sin is, we get so caught up with sin being a moral thing. Well, that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's sin. That's not. Actually, sin is any obstacle, any hindrance, any habit, any insecurity that stops us being who God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do. It can be comfort, can be a sin. Actually, I'm comfortable in this. I don't want to move out of my comfort. That then becomes a sin. It can be wrong thinking. It can be fear, fear of failing. Do not think of sin as being a moral thing. Well, it's okay. I haven't slept with anyone that's wife or I haven't um, you know, got drunk. Don't get Think beyond that. Anything that stops you being who God has designed you to be and stops you from doing what God has asked you to do is sin. It's a hindrance, it's an obstacle, and it stops you running the race that God has marked out for you. And it stops us as a church, if we collectively do it, stops us as a church moving on forward into those things that God has promised for us. We can have hope. We can have faith. That God will do amazing things with our lives and with this church. We can pray every single day as a church that God will do amazing things. But I'm telling you now, and it may seem sacrilegious, whatever that word is, but I'm telling you that's not enough. Prayer on its own, although prayer is probably the most important thing we can do, prayer on its own is not enough because there are things that will hinder us and entangle us that will prevent God from doing things with us I've said it before and I'll say it again God doesn't move parked cars if you're sitting there going well I'm I'm quite comfortable here thank you very much dear God do amazing things in our church move us bring people through our doors but I don't want to change and I don't want to do anything that's too uncomfortable because I don't want to fail and I don't want to mess up and actually Culture out there is a little bit odd. I don't understand it. 
God can't do anything. God can't do anything. It prevents us from moving our feet when we stomp our feet and say, no. So what do we need to do? The writer of Hebrews says, simply fix your eyes upon Jesus. Jesus is the centre or should be the centre of everything we do. The fact that Jesus has given us a mission, he's given us a task, he's told us to love people, he's told us to tell people about him, that is central to everything we should be doing. We are not a social club. We do not do socials at this church. At least we shouldn't do. Everything we do is an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Everything we do here is not so people get to know us, it's so people get to know Jesus. Too many people come to a church just because everyone's really nice and they're really welcoming. There's nothing wrong with that. But if they're not meeting Jesus, then it is just a social club where everyone's really friendly and lovely and kind and welcoming. It's all about Jesus. And here's the shocker. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about your wants and your comforts. It's not about your desires. It's not about your security. It's not about what's a good habit for you. It's all about Jesus. And two weeks ago I said, everything is disposable. Everything we do can be dropped and changed and rejected. Except Jesus. Everything else can be changed to suit the people that we are trying to reach out to. But the message never changes. Because our hope is in Jesus Christ. The perfecter of our faith. The reason why we have a hope for the future. The reason why we can have faith. The reason that we can believe that God is going to be with us and journey with us regardless of the ups and downs in life. That we ultimately have a destination of the kingdom of God's Well, we are citizens. We are aliens and strangers. Just like in Hebrews 11, it's said of those great heroes of the faith. They realized there were aliens and strangers in their land. They were looking for another land, somewhere promised by God. The same applies to us. Don't look back. Let go of the past. Hold on lightly to the future. We should be able to experiment boldly without fear of failure. Because we want to try things. And it's good. You know what? It's going to fail sometimes. Not everything we do is going to work. But actually, are we willing to boldly experiment? Because it's all about Jesus, not about my securities, my fears, my comforts, and my habits. It's all about Jesus. You can't argue with that, really can you let's just be quiet for a moment I'm going to ask uh, in a moment um, Lee to come up and we're just going to sing a song there's going to be a a pause for silence uh, afterwards for you just to respond as you want to Jesus not to me to Jesus and what he's doing in your heart